0: And we have a super exciting episode to give to you today. We are back after a few hmm. weeks off and or a few weeks with both of us not being on, but we are totally back and we are totally hyped for this. Today we are going to talk about the Supreme Court cases that happened basically the week that we took off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they were like right, right when we stopped recording for a little bit,
0: but we think that we should still break that down. We should still talk about it because I feel like there was a bit of an explosive cycle about it that kind of died down. And honestly, we we don't want it to die down because there's more shit that we need to talk about and there's more fighting that we need to do.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously.
0: And then we're going to have a discussion about some of the presidential candidates that we previously either haven't talked about or just dismissed outright. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we're going to do that is because although none of the presidential candidates that we're going to talk to have a snowball's chance in hell of actually becoming president mm-hmm. or even clenching the nomination or even probably getting very close to the nomination, the reason why they're running is because they're trying to get more political clout for a potential future run, which yeah. means these are people that are probably not going to go away. Yeah. All right? So that's why we're going to lay them out, look at them, discuss them, Talk about our thoughts on them, look at their platforms, and then uh, make some conclusions.
1: Okay, so let's dive right in to the legal analysis then. So, always fun. Always fun. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of miss the days. Maybe not today. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of miss the days of like reading Supreme Court opinions in my like legal history classes when one, I was a little bit disconnected from them. You know, they weren't happening right now and affecting you know people around me yeah um and two like they're often like you know well reasoned and impressively like thought through and like factually based arguments and some of these opinions are just fucking garbage these days like who is writing this
0: (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's kind of disappointing they're garbage and they're and they're partisan and they're politically motivated and it's just so blatantly obvious based on the fact that in some cases there's like the plaintiffs aren't didn't even consent to be plaintiffs. Mm -hmm. The, you know, in, in one case, it turns out there was like an online troll or something that had sparked Mm -hmm. the entire thing. Like it is just insanely bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. What They're, they're getting away with.
1: Yeah. They're clearly just picking cases to be able to essentially write legislation from the bench and even yeah. making up whole new legal doctrines so they get to do that more often than than previously and yeah. rather than even having any type of pretense of deciding any individual case in front of them they're clearly arguing back from their conclusions it's just it's just patently yeah. obvious so the supreme court just wrapped up their 2022 2023 term and when they do that they tend to deliver like the key rulings of the year and i think we talked about A couple of these a few weeks ago, we also teed up a lot of these cases at the beginning of the term. We did put out an episode talking about the cases that we were kind of paying attention to on the docket that we were a little bit worried about, and a lot of them turned out pretty much as you would expect. (laughs) So, you know, the Supreme Court did make some good, you know, rulings, which, you know, we can get into if we want, although there's plenty of bad rulings that we probably need to dedicate our time to today. But they did some good things. They 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 you know protected the uh, Indian Child Welfare Act. They prevented a Republican-led challenge uh, to like like Biden's um, you know scale back of of deportation efforts on immigrants. They voted uh, in favor. Of uh, voting rights for for Black Alabamans who um, were were suing to you know overturn a clearly illegal uh, partisan gerrymandered election map um, and a whole host of like other you know a couple of other actually a couple of other like generally not fucking terrible decisions but boy oh boy did they deliver some gut punches uh, yeah. in their in their decisions at the end of this term.
0: To start out, uh, let's talk about affirmative action. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think I should say that the scale of this ruling mm-hmm. is not quite as broad yeah. as some of the headlines make it make it seem, mm-hmm. but it is still a fundamental gut punch, and it does still demonstrate the fact that the Supreme Court, in a lot of ways, is divorced from the reality. Of continued structural racism.
1: Yes, yeah, totally, Um, yeah, and it's it's another example of like the court using relatively like rudimentary kind of logic that on its face might seem reasonable, but once you like actually think about the facts that you're, you're being faced with and the nuances of the case, clearly kind of falls apart. So, in making this decision, the Supreme Court has yet again, uh, you know, effectively overturned like 45 years of precedent, which that 45-year precedent had been supporting um, the use of racially conscious uh, criteria in college admissions. So just in the last 20 years, the Supreme Court has twice upheld the use of that kind of criteria in college admissions, and to good effect, right? We've seen Ivy League universities have an increasing proportion of non white students um, and overall, like, greater representation over time. Whereas states that have outlawed individually the use of race conscious criteria and admissions, the states that have outlawed that have seen significant decline in diversity and representation of non white students in their public universities. So, like, just straight up, We know affirmative action works to increase diversity and representation on campus,
0: flat out. Yeah. Furthermore, one of the things that we need to understand when we're looking at the importance of education is that education is quite possibly the greatest mechanism, the greatest vehicle for Mm -hmm. social mobility Mm -hmm. in terms of socioeconomic status. As it stands in the United States, over a fifth of of black people are below the poverty line versus about uh, almost 10% of white people. So double.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Black people, like twice more black people in the United States live below the federal poverty line than white people. And one of the biggest drivers of social mobility is education. Yeah. See, the issue is, and, and I know that I've made this point before, but the issue is we currently pay for public education with property taxes, Yeah. which means that if you are in a lower income area, which means that you probably, your, your family probably also has a lower income, your schools are going to be lower quality mm-hmm. because they don't have as much funding. They can't pay for high quality teachers. They can't pay for high quality material. Yeah. They can't pay for a decent space to actually be a positive learning environment, which means that if you grow up in an environment they can't pay for, like, you know, teachers to teach AP
1: classes in addition to the normal required classes. The kinds of stuff that is a direct path to a great uh, education after public school.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which means that a person who comes from an environment such as that will be less set up yeah. to, to, to be able to get into a college. Because a college is going to look at, you know grades from an, from a specific area and if they don't take into account the fact that this person might have had additional challenges mm-hmm. then they're prob- then effectively it's going to have the impact of less people who are impoverished getting admitted yeah and black people and Hispanics by the way and not just and not just that but also uh American Indian/Alaskan natives mm-hmm. in which over uh, over a quarter of them live below the poverty line mhm it's going to mean that less of them are going to be able to get into college. The reason why we have affirmative action is to try to equalize that playing yeah. field that is currently not equal to begin with. Yes.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, like, it's it's so clear when you, like, lay out— the, So, So Republicans are constantly making the argument that what this is doing is, in a racist way, trying to take people of, like, less merit— And if you're watching the YouTube video, I'm doing like quotes here, like literally like less meritorious people and, and giving them, uh, you know, a boost. And that argument only makes sense with this, like most rudimentary, silly, like definition of merit possible, right? Like, like literally if merit equals SAT scores, then that holds, but otherwise it doesn't like, think about it this way. Two people start a race, one starts race race 100 feet behind the other person, and they're going to sprint, right? And they start at the same exact time. And then that person who starts 100 feet behind, right, they make up over that sprint half or, or even three quarters of the distance, but they don't make up the, the full 100 feet, right? And the other person beats them as a result. Who's the better runner? The yeah. person that started further behind, there's actually yeah. merit to overcoming struggle, and just the fact that you don't overcome it to the to make you fully equal with someone else doesn't mean that there isn't merit there. Like the idea that merit that meritocracy is only measured in SAT scores is clearly absurd. No one actually believes that, but they just pretend like what yeah. they're saying like be- they make the argument that like structural racism doesn't really exist, and therefore, you know all of this has to do with how well you bootstrap and how well you like take care of yourself and how responsible you as an individual are. And by putting it all on that individual, yeah. they are pretending like, uh, like these people aren't meritorious, which we know is false because we see benefits of beneficiaries. I should say of affirmative action, um, uh, systems do well at colleges and universities. We see them yeah. fulfill some of our, you know, highest offices in our country. So we know that it works to get people who are meritorious into colleges and universities.
0: Yeah. And the examples that a lot of right-wingers will often point towards is, well, if racism exists, then why are there black people that (laughs) are rich? Like, why do rich black Mm -hmm. people exist? (laughs) And, you know, there's a lot of explanations for that. There's a lot of potential reasons for that. One of them could be fucking affirmative action. Uh, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, to, 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 to look at the example that, that Michael gave about the, you know, the starting a race, maybe if you are a hyper amazing, awesome athlete, you can still win. And that happens. That can absolutely happen. And and if that does happen, like, holy shit, you are amazing. All right. You are absolutely amazing. You should be celebrated. You should absolutely be celebrated, but you should also not be used as an excuse to keep other people like you at that same starting line.
1: You still started a hundred feet behind and wouldn't it have been even better if you'd been started from the same footing and you could exemplify your skill even more like, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah.
0: There was actually this segment that, uh, that Charlie Kirk did in which he was, he was uh, doing a rebuttal against uh, Joy Reid, Michelle Obama, uh, Sheila Lee, Sheila Jackson Lee and Katanji Brown Jackson, who were yeah. affirmative action picks for getting into college. He was saying, oh, well, you know, they keep using themselves as an example of why this is an important program. Well, this is an example of why it's a failed program, because mm. these are just mm. a bunch of dumbasses. You know, these <laughs> are just these are just a bunch of dumbasses. Uh, he said he said, quote, um, they're coming out. They're saying I'm only here because of affirmative action. Yes, we know you do not have the brain processing power to otherwise Jesus be taken Christ. really seriously. He also added you had to go and steal a white person's slot Fuck to be taken somewhat Christ. seriously. Holy shit. Yeah. Like now I do want to exemplify the fact that that is such a stupid fucking argument that mm-hmm. I almost didn't want to bring it up in this conversation because mm-hmm. it's so stupid that I could verily I could very easily be accused of strawmanning the right by <laughs> Basically, casting the right as being like by by, by saying that this exemplifies the the right wing position, but this is a guy with a huge following. This yes. is a guy that regularly goes to college campuses and spouts his fucking garbage. Yes. And like the the point is, like again, it, it goes back to the point that I made earlier. If you were picked for college because of a affirmative action. And then when you got to college, you excelled, which the, all of, which all of these women did, Mm -hmm. they excelled in college and were able to have successful careers because of that. Like whether you agree or disagree with their politics, which, you know, in, in Charlie Kirk's eyes, if you, if that means like, if you disagree, that must mean they have less brain processing power or some bullshit, but like whether you agree or disagree with their politics, they have had successful political careers and they had successful academic careers because they were given a chance. Yeah. All right, the point is not you were picked and then you, you know, flunked out of college. It's we're giving you a chance to actually mm-hmm. have a decent education in college. And if you're able to take advantage of it and do well, then that's going to make you make it so you can do well later in life. All right? And that's what happened yeah. with these women.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And and I think I think ultimately the schism misunderstanding like not just a being willfully misunderstanding racism in America and like, and this idea that yeah. like white people are getting yeah. replaced by black people or people of color in these colleges and universities is really the thing that is underpinning the division in the court. So, like, Chief Justice Roberts uh, yeah. wrote that, that for too long, uh, universities have, quote, concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not. Uh, challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. Our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. So basically trying to make the argument that, uh, it's a classic argument we've all heard, affirmative action itself, because it's race conscious, is racist, which is a rudimentary understanding of racism. And I think it's really well refuted by um, Justice uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson's uh, dissent in this case, where she wrote, quote, "With let them eat cake," obliviousness today the majority pulls the ripcord <laughs> and announces color blindness for all by legal fiat. But deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. And I think that's that's an incredible mm. sentiment, an incredible statement, an incredible refutation of Roberts's and the majority's position which is just anything that's aware of race is racism. And that is the position arguing from, from just like perfectly equal treatment. But ultimately the point of affirmative action is equity is recognizing the systematic systemic challenges that face people and treating them with that in mind. And race, unfortunately is one of the best predictors of those systematic systemic challenges.
0: Yeah. Now, to be clear, that, that is not to say that if you are black, that always means that you're poor. And if you're white, no. that always means that you're rich. That's a that's a straw man that they like to use. That is not what it means at all. Yeah. What it means is that if you do struggle with poverty and you are black, more likely than not, the color of your skin, the legacy of slavery, the legacy of Jim Crow, the legacy mm-hmm. of redlining, and yep. the current practices Within like the current practices of funding of education, the current practices mm-hmm. of realtors mm-hmm. using implicit bias to mm-hmm. devalue homes that, uh, that are owned or thought to be owned by people of color versus white people, which that has been well studied, you can look it up, has an impact on yep. what opportunities you will have. Mm-hmm. If you are black, it is likely that that has an impact on your socioeconomic status. If yeah. you're white, it probably doesn't.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And the, and, and to, to that point as well, none of these colleges and universities are going like handing out spots based on just race alone. Race is one, is, is it, these are race conscious decisions, right? It's yeah. one of the many things taken into account. And often it's a very small part of their admissions algorithms. The point yeah. is just to slightly tip the scales in order to account for known, measured, well-documented and understood challenges faced by certain applicants.
0: Yeah. So. All right. You want to talk, about, uh, want to talk yeah. about the LGBT case?
1: Yes. Let's talk about that one next. Yeah. Which this I feel one, like
0: there's not as much to ugh. say about this one. But oh, there is so much to say. <laughs> oh, you do have Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. For sure.
1: So, at issue in this case is, uh, well, we'll be generous to the majority and uh, the plaintiffs in this (laughs) case. At issue in this case is a website designer (laughs) in Colorado um, who allegedly was, you know, uh, asked about uh, creating a website for a gay wedding and refused. And similar to, like, the Masterpiece Cake Shop um, case, this was teed up as a... As Colorado's anti-discrimination law and public accommodation law being held in contrast with other rights of individuals. So in the masterpiece cake shop, it was like you know your religious right not to be you know made to do things that you don't want to do, basically. And then in this case, it's uh, the court kind of landed on this idea that that as a website designer, you are in a creative service profession such that the things that you make are speech and therefore being forced by the government to uh make a a, you know website for a, a person that you disagree with you're being forced to uh express speech that you don't actually believe and therefore that's a violation of your first amendment rights to free speech that's basically where they landed um
0: so here's why that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs>
1: it's really fucking bullshit.
0: So, so first off, the guy who was the, the original, the, the person who uh, they claimed asked her to do a website yep. for a gay wedding, it turns out the actual dude, because he like, he looked, he saw his, his email address on the thing. The actual mm-hmm. dude is married to a woman and yep. never emailed the site and was basically yeah. like, I don't know if they just made this up. Yeah. I don't know if they, like, I, I don't know if uh, someone else just decided to use my name mm-hmm. in in complaining to them, but this ain't me, bro. Yeah, so, so I think that's a huge part about this case.
1: And it's, a, and it's a evidence in favor of the idea that the Supreme Court was looking for a case yeah. to try to make a ruling of this type so yeah, yeah to that to your point there isn't a set of facts at issue here this is yeah. a totally hypothetical case because one <laughs> no one ever asked this lady to make a website for them in colorado for their for their gay wedding because this dude is straight has been married for 15 years <laughs> yeah to a woman <laughs> but Separately, Lori Smith, the plaintiff in this case, doesn't make wedding websites. She was thinking about maybe making a wedding website, thought that maybe she would be prevented from refusing service to LGBTQ couples as a result of the Colorado case, and therefore sued Colorado. With no factual basis whatsoever, the standing in this case is entirely hypothetical, which is just not how the fucking law works because (laughs) because laws and cases are intensely factual you make rulings on the facts of the case you don't just write them hypothetically that's what law writing is for <laughs> you write laws <laughs> i'm just i'm so fucking pissed about this i've never thought i'd get so heated over standing but the fact that the court <laughs> was literally looking for a case this is like not even a test case right they were literally just looking for someone that they could write this opinion for because they've already different they've already chipped away at uh, equal rights and equal protection in masterpiece cake shop uh by comparing by by putting it in tension with religious freedom, and now they're trying to chip away at public accommodation and equal treatment uh, by putting it in tension with with First Amendment rights. Neil yeah. Gorsuch, in the conservative majority opinion, uh, wrote that. The First Amendment, quote, envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. The opportunity to think for ourselves and to express those thoughts freely is among our most cherished liberties and part of what keeps our republic strong. To force all manner of artists, speechwriters, and others whose services involve speech to speak what they do not believe on pain of penalty is like in this opinion, the result of like public accommodation laws applying to people in industries that that serve these kinds of of uh potentially speech related loosely speech related fields
0: yeah so yeah i i want to draw attention to the speech writers part of that,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: like if we were talking about a case where you know there was a there was a speech writer. Who is being who is liberal, who is being hired to write a speech about like conservative shit, that would be one thing. Mm -hmm. But that's not what this is that's not what is in question here. What is in question is the identity of the person who is asking for it. Exactly. So that speechwriter, you know, they could say, like, I'm not gonna write something that I don't believe in, but because if a speechwriter has a business in which they are they are serving the public like, if, if it is a public accommodation, that is, that is yeah. what a public accommodation is, yeah. and they were to say, I'm not going to raise speech for a black person, or I'm not going to raise speech for a gay person. Yeah. At that point, you are violating discrimination laws. Yes. I,
1: exactly. I don't know why two fucking bumfuck podcasters <laughs> can get it, can fucking understand why, why this is not, why speech is not the legal question at issue here. Yeah. So so, let's remember Neil Gorsuch wrote an opinion, a landmark fucking opinion, protecting LGBTQ rights, right by by clearly articulating in a Supreme Court opinion the very obvious, uh, but yet uh, heretofore unarticulated position that to discriminate based on sexual orientation is to discriminate based on sex, right, and discriminating based on sex is federally not illegal because of uh, multiple statutes including the Civil Rights Act right But sexual orientation is not necessarily protected. but the argument is very clear if you would do a if you would do uh, a service or uh, you know provide a service to someone who is a man married to a woman and you wouldn't do it for a woman who is married to a woman, then it is very clear that that is a sex-based discrimination. Sexual orientation, any discrimination against someone for sexual orientation inherently has to be sex-based. So yeah. I don't know why he can get that. He can understand that. He can articulate that and write it down in the fucking Supreme Court opinion. But he can't get the nuance at play here, which yeah. I'm going to try to illustrate with an example. Okay, you want to play a little game with me? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right, Nathan. Pretend that you're a homophobic website designer. Grr, I hate gay people. There you go. That was, Make sure you quote that. that was so convincing. <laughs> Wow. Um,
0: Make sure you quote that and use it against (laughs) me later. Yeah.
1: Okay. I am a business owner. And my business partner, his name is John. And I come to you to make a flashy website. And it has banners and confetti cannons and a place where people can buy us congratulatory gifts and RSVP to attend our ribbon cutting ceremony. Because we are finally, me and my business partner, John, are finally opening our business like we've always wanted. And at the top of the page, I want you to write, congratulations, Michael and John. If you were a homophobic web designer, would you make that website? Grr, no. Why not? I'm just a business owner. Because I hate gay people. I'm not gay. I'm just a business owner. It's just me and John, business owners.
0: I mean, if you're just two business owners, then I guess so. Yeah. I guess I make the website.
1: Michael and John's tire repair. Why not? Okay, so then I come to you, Mr. Homophobic Website Designer, and I'm a business owner, and I'm with my life partner, John. Uh, And I come to you, and I want you to make a flashy website. It's got banners and confetti cannons and a place where people can buy us congratulatory gifts and RSVP to attend our wedding because we're finally getting married like we always wanted. And at the top of the page, I want you to write, congratulations, Michael and John.
0: No, I hate gay
1: people exactly. It's the same website. It's the same speech Therefore, this is not speech. This is this is Exclusively based on the fact of our sexual orientation if we were straight and running a business You would make this you could make the same website as if we were gay and getting married and yet Only one of those times you would discriminate against us.
0: Yeah, and I want to and I want to be clear about something ask yourself seriously if at the top of that website it said no interracial weddings, would you be okay with that? Mm. If at the top of that website it said no Jewish weddings, would mm-hmm. you be okay with that? Yeah. If at the top of that website it said no Muslim weddings, would you be okay with that? I-, I don't know what this woman's religious denomination is, but let's let's assume for the sake of argument that she's Protestant. Mm-hmm. What if it was a Catholic wedding? Yeah. All right. She's not allowed, you know, is she allowed to say Catholics need not apply? You know, is she allowed to say If it's not even an interracial wedding, just like if it's two black people getting married. Yeah. You know, not going to do it. Is that okay? No, of course it's not okay. Because it's discrimination. It is discrimination based on a protected identity. A protected identity that this Supreme Court has affirmed is a protected identity. Yes. That's why the facts fucking matter. That's why it really
1: matters. Because... Like, Gorsuch and the conservative majority put up a bunch of straw men about, like, trying to play, like, the other side of the coin and being like, well, like, what if it was a Nazi and they wanted you to write pro-Nazi stuff on your website? Like, you don't have to do that. That would be a question of free speech. That might be something worth litigating. But this isn't a question of free speech. And it's not about whether they're a Nazi. It's about writing pro-Nazi stuff on your website.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, hell, if if two Nazis were getting married... And they came to you and they were like, "All right, well, we're getting married. Uh, make our website. You make it." They say, "Write this on the website." You can be like, "You know what? I'm not going to write that on the website." Yeah. Also, just
1: being a Nazi fine. is not a protected class, not a religion. It's also nationality. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So <laughs> also, <laughs> not not an issue here, Neil. So like, yeah. I just I find this case to be so fucking absurd because it is it, it it illustrates two really important things. One, as we already talked about. This court is legislating from conclusions and, you know, finding whatever facts are necessary in the case and whatever argument is necessary and rationale is necessary to reach their conclusions. But two, and maybe this is more you know esoteric of a point, if there are no true facts at issue in the case, it means that these cases are somewhat impossible to analyze deeply. Yeah. You can't fucking understand or know exactly what this case will mean next time because all you have is a fucking treatise on free speech and some tenuous relationship between free speech and and service industries and LGBTQ people. Because there are no facts for us to really consider, you know, really consider like what this case is confined to. All we have is like dicta. All we have is argumentation. And so there's no option except to recognize that the logic in this case is fucking bullshit and doesn't fucking work. And it will, as the dissent, as this dissent uh, claims, um, the, quote, symbolic effect of the decision is to mark gays and lesbians for second class status. It will do that. It has done that. It has opened the door to businesses just refusing service to LGBTQ folks. All right. So we've touched on a lot. We've talked about a lot. And as usual, Nathan and I had more to say than we thought. (laughs) So there's one clear case that we're not going to get to talk about this week, which is the Supreme Court, um, you know, blocking Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. There's way more to go into there to talk about the court's ruling and then talk about what Biden can do in response. And so we're going to delve into that in a future episode. So now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, a here's why that's bullshit. So in these segments, we try to take a popular talking point from, uh, you know, often the right, but sometimes the left and give you a few quick hitting pieces of information so that you can break down for your friends and family and people all around you exactly why that's bullshit. So Nathan, what are we breaking down today?
0: Well, you see, Michael, institutional racism, structural racism in the United States, it doesn't exist anymore. No oh, wow. it used to exist. It absolutely used to exist. All right. Obviously, slavery happened and that created a lot of disadvantages for for black people. Mm-hmm. And Jim Crow existed, and that yeah. created disadvantages for black people. However, at this point, it's been over a hundred and fifty years since we've had slavery. And it's been over 50 years since the Civil Rights Act. And we see so many cases of successful black people, rich black people, you know, black people in politics. We had a black president. We have, you know, we have black people on the Supreme Court. Like, at this point, you cannot look at the United States and honestly say... That there is still institutional racism. And in fact, the claims of institutional racism are often used to trick black people into voting for Democrats when Democrats are just trying to make people lazy by creating programs that, you know, uh, that that keep them at home and keep them doing nothing. So here's why that's bullshit. (laughs) So, Nathan, if structural
1: racism doesn't exist, why are you twice as likely to live in poverty if you're black?
0: Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the big thing here. Yeah. Like, as we, we talked about this a little bit earlier in our, uh, in our segment when we were talking about affirmative action. But as I, as I pointed out, according to the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, 21.7% of black people live below the poverty line in the United States, Versus 9.5% of white people. Now, if you look at that, there's only two possible ways that you could, you know, that you could explain that, mm-hmm. right? Either a, the reason that that happens is because there is some type of structural racism that is keeping that is making it so that people who are born into a black family or a black community uh, have less opportunities and therefore structural racism does exist. Or B, we live in a perfect meritocracy, and there is just something inherently biologically inferior about black people that make them more likely to not succeed as much. Now, if you believe in that second one, congratulations, you're racist. (laughs)
1: Slam fucking dunk.
0: (laughs) That's the thing. Even if someone comes
1: back to you and says... Yeah, but what about you know? Couldn't it be? Couldn't it be culture? Well, you what get, creates like, culture? Yeah, exactly. Structure, societal structures, history. Yeah. context. Context, exactly. That's which forms culture. It's either structural. It's either history. In which case, we have a clear obligation to, as the society and and as people of privilege and power, to correct it, or it's racist. (laughs) There's like, and I would, it it seems deceptively simple, but it's really just those two things.
0: Yeah. And I would even like to point out that, you know, sometimes you do often see conservatives try to say, oh, well, it's the liberal policies Mm -hmm. of welfare that are keeping black people in poverty. So you do believe in structural racism Mm -hmm. because if you're, if you're making that argument, if you're making the argument that, yes, black people are disadvantaged, you know, and it's because of these policies. You are making an argument that is acknowledging that structural racism exists. Yeah. Which means that you need to come up with a better, like, if, if you're going to, if you're going to say that, then you need to come up with a policy for for eliminating that. Mm-hmm. And we can have a discussion about what that policy should be. Fine. That's fine. Yeah. We can discuss that. But you still have to acknowledge that, yes, it does exist.
1: Yeah exactly exactly
0: and that's why that's bullshit
1: so it may not feel like it given that it's the summer of 2023 but the november election of 2024 is right around the corner (laughs) (laughs) and so we wanted to break down some of the you know lesser known perhaps candidates who are nevertheless important getting our attention um, and that may be important, maybe not for the twenty twenty four election, but maybe in the future. So even yeah. if some of these candidates, you know, may not end up in, you know, the cabinet of whoever wins, right? They still will be exerting influence on politics, and they might be setting themselves up for future presidential bids. So these yeah. are potentially people we should really be paying attention to.
0: Yeah, or some of them might even have some type of impact on the discourse. Within the election,
1: yes, without
0: without actually being a contender for the election, they might have mm-hmm. some so they might have something to offer discourse. Yeah, so you know, I, I think that with that in mind, it is important to talk about some of these people, even if they're not necessarily serious contenders.
1: Yeah, because the official position of this show is that it's almost definitely going to be Biden versus Trump, unless yeah. one of them yeah. passes away or something. That's pretty much the election we're looking at. Yeah, that's
0: that's that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and you know, at this at this point, the official position of this show is going to be to support not Trump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so you know, we <laughs> will will you know we'll be making the arguments. We'll be making arguments in favor of Biden and against Trump. Closer to when that is the actual matchup, but in the meantime, we're going to continue to critique Biden like we always do, and sure. to hold him accountable like we always do, and to talk about a uh, some candidates that are challenging him, like we always do. Mm-hmm. And one particular candidate is not running as a Democrat, is not running as a Republican, is running in the Green Party. Mm-hmm. Cornell West. So let's Why talk about Cornell West for a bit.
1: Sound familiar?
0: because I goddamn love Cornell West. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Cornell West is an activist scholar that has a long history of being an intellectual hero for the left. He was uh he he was on the Bernie Sanders campaign in 2020 and in 2016. He has been an activist uh with the Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, since the early 1900s, uh, he later served as the honorary chair of that of that group. Um, he is also just a delightful human being. Like if you've ever mm-hmm. seen him talk to somebody, oh God, what like, even O-rated. somebody, even someone he disagrees with, mm-hmm. you know, like he he calls everybody brother or sister, and it's just so endearing the way he like he, he even like you know we'll talk about Trump, he'd be like ah my brother Trump, mm-hmm. and it's like it's even though he'll be saying like. This motherfucker's a fascist. He'll be like, "Yeah, brother Trump. He's a fascist. He's doing. He's he's targeting black people." But like, it's still so endearing. And like, even people that disagree with him, even people that have him on because they're trying to have an argument with him, like most of the time, it's always like a oh, always love having you on. Mm-hmm. You know, I love it when you call me brother. Or you know, it, like very rarely does he get into shouting matches with people. And if he gets into a shouting match. It's not him. It's it's the person. It's the other person. <laughs> it's like, like a, if even, you it's a shouting
1: match with like the Dalai Lama.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like if if you if you get into a shouting match with Cornell West, you started it. Like <laughs> you, he's one of the most easiest people to get along with, hmm. um, in like you know in debates, uh, and yeah, he's an amazing orator. Um, he is a massive fighter for uh, social and economic justice yeah. Um, in both domestic and international policy. And I just, you know, he, he's, he's, he's been a personal hero of mine for a long time. I, I don't agree with him on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are definitely some areas in which I think he does go farther than I would go. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think that he is, his, his platform is mostly positive and mostly mm-hmm. correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Promising to focus on kind of core progressive issues, the kind of things that Bernie was focused on as well, like healthcare, housing, reproductive rights, um, you know, uh, climate change, you know, shoring up our democratic institutions, that kind of thing. Like overall, yeah. you know, judging from his announcement video and the, when, what I've read about him and his campaign, like seems pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say I, I, wish that his issues page was like more fleshed out more more fleshed out but like what but i do like the fact that what is there is substantive Mm -hmm. you know cutting back military spending which you don't hear a lot of candidates talking about that yeah considering the fact that we spend more than the next nine countries combined that should be like that should be a wider issue but most democrats even vote to increase the military budget when the Mm -hmm. subject comes up yeah uh, he talks about uh, imperialism. He talks about uh, withdrawing foreign aid to countries that violate the human rights of other of other people. Like, you know, uh, specifically, he uh, mentions Egypt and Israel. Mm. Um, abolishing nuclear weapons, which you don't see a lot of people talking about that.
1: Oh, man, that would be nice. That's a good move.
0: You know, promoting diplomatic processes. And one of the things that I like about him is like, I usually don't take it very seriously when a uh, when a person is like a Green Party candidate and they yeah. don't talk about uh, ranked choice voting.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Because like yeah, that's cause the only way. That's
0: yeah. the only way. It's the only path. Yeah, yeah. It's the only way, and that that is one of the things he talks about. Uh, you know, public financing of elections, good mm. ranked choice voting, good eliminating the electoral college, which is the only way that you could actually have. A ranked choice voting system that actually sure. does prevent any spoiler effect and actually gives power to third party candidates Um a national holiday for voting. Complete no brainer. Yeah. Uh, democratizing unaccountable monopolies and oligarchies for workers control.
1: Love that. Oh, is that like, love that? Like turning corporations into like cooperatives or something?
0: Yeah, yeah. We we like we talked yeah. about democratization of the workforce mm-hmm. on this channel and we talked about worker owned co-ops. Yep. Uh now I I would want to see what his specific sure. like, path like, for how he would transition do that. is. Uh, are, yeah. Exactly. Are we yeah. talking about forcing it? Eh, I don't like that as much. <laughs> are we talking about providing incentives to make mm-hmm. it so it's more of like a it's it's much more feasible for a company to become like that? Like what are we what, what are we talking about? Yeah, there? you know and in I, our I, I would episode see... about worker
1: owned co ops. There were there's are so many methods for increasing exactly. the power of workers in representation in an organization like that. You know, without like exactly. seizing the means of production. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, to be clear, he is also like him being a Green Party candidate is actually mm. relatively recent. He started out uh, running with um, the uh, the People's Party, mm-hmm. which apparently, like, I didn't I didn't really know much about the People's Party prior to this, but apparently, it was created by former Bernie staffers, but. Mm. It might have been a total fucking scam. Mm. And when people pointed that out to him, he was like, OK, well, I'm going to switch to the Greens then because gotcha. I don't want to I don't want that baggage. Yeah. Um. So technically, I think there's still like there's still a primary for that he's going to have to do for the Greens. But I don't even think there's I don't even know if there's anybody running against him. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious.
1: I'm really curious about like how far he'll go as a candidate. Like, whether he stays in all the way to, like, the election or whether, like, he goes in to influence the discourse through the primary and then, like, try to, like, have influence over the platform. Like, what kind of, how that that plays out. Because, like, honestly, I get so nervous about third-party candidates in the face of, like, all the stuff that happened with Jill Stein and whether that might have tipped the 2016 election away from Hillary. Like, there's a lot of questions around that.
0: Now Cornell West's argument, and I I don't know if this is true or not. I really sure. don't. Yeah. Uh, but his argument is that the people that showed up to vote for Jill Stein are people that wouldn't have showed to vote up show, shown have shown up to vote anyway. Sure. And maybe um, maybe that's and true. maybe like I, I kind of doubt I, it. I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah. I. I. I don't know how I necessarily feel about that. And the th- yeah. I guess the thing that makes me nervous about Cornell West is that he is such a good candidate. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He is he's like so he is an awesome yeah. he's an awesome activist. Mm-hmm. He's someone that like even me who, you know, does try to be fairly pragmatic when it comes to third parties, even me is like god, I'd love to vote for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's super magnetic. Um, yeah. He's yeah, he's he's super magnetic. So like my my thought is or my hope is that he is here to try to influence like Biden mm-hmm. to adopt a better platform. Yeah. And not only to adopt a better platform, but to actually be like to actually do some things in the meantime so that he can say, like, oh no, no, no. no. I'm not just a status quo elitist like sure. Cornell West says I am. Look, I just you know, I I I you know I uh, I was able to get student loans yeah. after the Supreme Court struck down my first attempt. I did a second attempt, and I was able to do that. Like, mm-hmm. if I were Biden and I was looking at this, my thought would be, I need to, I need to make sure that he has less shit to hit me on.
1: Sure. Yeah. He needs to force things through to be able to be credible on those progressive issues to try to win attention from that base. Exactly. Of, of, with, of progressive voters. Yeah. I and, think that's the with, best case scenario for sure.
0: Yeah. And with that in mind, I think that the fact that the Democrats are trying to find strategies uh, against Cornell West to try to discredit him or to try to shame people mm. for voting for him or to only focus on what Biden has done so far and not try to do more—yeah,
1: what he could—is a bad do. strategy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I think that makes sense. And, and like, I don't know. To to Cornell West's point, like, I don't really buy that there were a bunch of people that. Only came out to vote because they were inspired by the incredible Jill Stein. Um, yeah. I might that, buy that more with with Cornell West actually because he is so yeah. magnetic. But like in general, it is so much more work and so much more expensive to turn out new voters and to organize yeah. those voters than it is to bleed away voters from the D and the R on the page who are already yeah. there. So like I'm I'm skeptical of that claim of like not being a spoiler for that ra- that reason but i would love to see him have a leftward pushing effect on the democratic yeah. party platform and
0: now what yeah. i would love even more is if he ran as a democrat
1: yeah i think like that primary i was asking Fucking that question Biden. Yeah. why not just be on the ballot and try to be on the stage or like primary it yeah
0: Yeah, Like, what's the downside?
1: You're old and an academic. Like, (laughs) your career in politics is not at risk.
0: (laughs) I think his whole thing is that, you know, look at what the DNC did to Bernie. Like, he thinks that the DNC rigged the primary against Bernie, and he's like, well, they're just going to do that to me. Like, yeah, but you're going to get a lot more people on your side if you run as a Democrat. And paying attention. And, like, and paying attention. And to be clear, if Cornel West, like, today... Announced that he was running in a primary as a Democrat, like, I, like, that's where my support would go. Like, that's where all of my support would go. Like, right now, I am considering casting a protest vote for Marion Williamson because, like, I'm definitely not voting for RFK and I'm really annoyed with Biden right now. So I'm considering doing that very reluctantly. But if Cornell West run, like, it would be a no brainer. That's where my support would go.
1: Even if the DNC rigged the primary against Bernie, like, the whole system is stacked against you as a third-party candidate. Like, you're, you you, don't have a snowball's yeah. chance in hell there. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to ha- get less attention. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to be less of a threat and all that stuff. Like, the, the getting on, you know, getting attention in the Democratic primary is way more valuable. I mean, look at RFK, who we can talk about in a minute. Like, he's getting attention ju- basically just because he's polling. And, and he, he really does not doesn't deserve it. deserve it. And, like,
0: yeah. Cornell yeah. West deserves so much more attention than fucking RFK.
1: Yeah, and if RFK and were get a Green Party candidate or an anti-vax candidate or whatever, he wouldn't get that attention. He wouldn't be polling where he is.
0: And the thing is, there's actually a pretty large contingent of the left that does not like Biden, is never going to go for RFK, is disillusioned by Marion Williamson because like they were really not impressed with her the first time she ran. And they're looking at Cornell West right now running as a third party and some of them are just, and they're like, it gives them pause a little bit. Yeah. Take that pause away. You run as a Democrat, you get that support. Like I can, I can almost like, here's what I would say. I bet you that if he ran, that that if he uh, announced that he was running as a Democrat in like three days, he would be in 20, he would have 20% in the primary poll. Like he would be at 20%. Yeah. You know, I think that, almost immediately you would get like you would get at least 20% and then you build off of that like mm-hmm. i'm not saying that he would definitely win but he might you know yeah. people don't like biden get in there yeah. and make a good argument
1: i mean his announcement video alone
0: was so compelling yeah he's great it was so compelling yeah yeah so anyway i love you cornell west please run as a democrat <laughs> <laughs> i will vote for you if you run as a democrat in the primary <laughs> in the primary in the primary, in the primary. <laughs>
1: All right, let's talk about RFK.
0: Uh, Robert, huh.
1: F- Robert Fuckity Kennedy, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so Robert F. Kennedy is the son of former U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy. Um, so, yeah, the, the Robert F. Kennedy I'm referring to is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's running for president. Um, he was an environmental justice lawyer, uh, helped clean up the Hudson River in New York um, he's never run for public office he's uh, 69 years old um, although he claims that he's been involved in pretty much every presidential election over the last 60 years which to me is like oh you've never been involved in 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 you know you've only been involved behind the scenes in politics yeah behind the scenes yeah. like the shady part where everybody's yeah. you know no one trusts the, <laughs> the worst part of yeah. politics yeah yeah um, but he's currently like pretty high in the polls, like over 14% in the polls. And so even though he's absolutely fucking crazy, we kind of have to take him a little bit seriously. Yeah.
0: And you know what? I'm even going to be really nice to him. I'm going to start out by saying some nice things about him. All right. Maybe he's brain is mush. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm serious. I'm serious. All right. I'm going to say some actually nice things about him. Cause I, I went through his website. I went through mm-hmm. his policy platform mm-hmm. And I'm going to say some nice things about it. Great. All right. So he, uh, you know, earlier when I talked about how candidates are almost never talking about American imperialism, they're never almost never talking about the bloated military budget. He does. Hmm. He actually does. He says, uh, he ha- you know, he has a uh, page on his website uh, under peace. Say, it's labeled as bring it home. Um, he says, the first line of it is, in the long term, a nation's strength does not come from its armies. And he talks about how we spend uh, a significant amount on weaponry. We spend a significant amount on imperialism. He uses the word imperialism. Hmm. He actually does use the word imperialism. Uh, to you know, He talks about how we're spending all this money sending troops overseas, and we need to un- unwind the empire. And start bringing, uh, start bringing troops home. Stop racking up unpayable debt that is caused by the war. The point of the military should be to defend the country, not to do these offensive, illegal wars overseas. And you know what? I love that. Yeah. I love the fact that we have a candidate who is getting some traction that is talking about issues that that are you know that I really care about.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, the fact that we have. A candidate who's somewhat of a gym bro that finally understands that a nation's power doesn't come from its armies, it comes from its leggies. Never skip leg day. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> You're like, okay, he also let's go move on.
0: <laughs> anyway. Move on. <laughs> no, it was very funny. It was very funny. Um He also he also talks about ending the war on drugs. Which you don't see that very often. And yeah. considering the fact that Joe Biden was the architect of the crime bill that exacerbated the war on drugs, that's actually not a bad uh, th- that's not a bad position to take in opposition mm. to Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, he talks about amnesty to nonviolent drug offenders, shutting down the school the school to prison pipeline, which you know we've talked about on this show. Hell yeah. um, transforming the police. You know, he does say like instead of defunding the police, we will transform the police. It's like, okay, what does that mean? saying incentivizing them to prevent violence, not necessarily arrests, train them to de-escalate and mediation skills and partner them with neighborhood organizations. No longer with a relationship with the public, be adversarial. Love that. Yeah. Love that. What a platform. Love that so much. You know, and I'm only saying all these nice things about him, uh, because I want to get to the, the, the gut punch. (laughs) I want to go ahead and get to the final gut punch of, um, this, this whole thing, which is, uh his the rest of his website is fucking terrible
1: yeah the fact that he's been he's the <laughs> OG conspiracy theorist he was spreading conspiracy theories 20 years
0: ago before it was cool like <laughs> yeah yeah like and not only that but the the stuff that i said were like the that was only, the, pretty much the only substantive things he has on his website most of it is literally just do good things and not stop doing bad things. It's like environment. Basically, I believe in a clean world. And I believe in solving problems in order to make it a clean world. And I believe that when we make it a clean world, that the world will be cleaner. And therefore, our problems will be solved. Because cleanness is important in a world. And the world is very clean. And it will that's be clean amazing. when I clean up the world. <laughs> like, that's basically GPT what he said. write
1: circular logic
0: about... Solving like, climate I'm not, change. To be, clear, to, be, <laughs> to be clear, I'm not I'm not quoting him, I'm paraphrasing sure. him. Yeah, That's yeah, basically yeah. what he fucking says though. Like, oh you God. know, he has this whole uh he has this whole thing about reconciliation where he's like, you know, he goes he goes on and on about how, well, we're so divided and all we need to do is find like all of the middle grounds on issues like abortion and immigration. Oh, and both sides just, just hate each other. And if we just if we just got along and held hands and came up with actual solutions to our problems, that li- in which we listened to each other, then we'd actually we'd actually get somewhere. It's like, mm. okay, okay, great. What are those fucking solutions? Also, yeah, also Give me like some actual concrete solutions. Who are you talking to? Are you telling
1: the Democrats to come up with solutions, which is the only thing fucking what Democrats do? do? You're not telling the, the Republicans to come to the table on solutions, which they never fucking do. Like the the middle ground between solutions and stonewalling is nothing it's stonewalling
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and the big like and all of this is not even not even bringing up the fucking anti-vax bullshit that this yeah. man spreads exactly like yeah. already like i look at his website and already i'm like you're just a fucking milquetoast centrist mm-hmm. that has some policies that go farther left than the rest of the democratic party which is great or like actual solutions to things that go farther than what the Democratic Party would do, which is great. But for the most part, it's literally just my solution to everything is to implement a solution, a solution that's a good solution that people are happy with. And this solution will help solve everything because it will be a good solution that I spent a lot of time thinking of. And I have <laughs> the solution. The solution is to solve the problem. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm serious. Read his fucking it's website. Fucking there's almost no substance that's pretty much what it fucking says. It
1: sounds like fucking 1984. That's hilariously absurd. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's just <laughs> like, his website. That's his best representation of his viewpoints that are the least controversial and most convincing. And then you hear him actually yeah. talk about his positions and stuff, and you realize that he is a fucking crazy who is totally fucking off his fucking rocker. Like... Yeah. Yeah. And and not only is... like. Individually crazy. He puts money and time and energy and organizing around being crazy. He's a very effective fucking crazy anti-vax person. Like has a whole nonprofit called the Children's Health Defense, which is, you know, very prominently anti-vax and was against the COVID-19 vaccinations. He wrote a 2021 book called The Real Anthony Fauci, where he accused uh, (laughs) Anthony Fauci of... Uh, carrying out, quote, 2020's historic coup d'etat against Western democracy. Anthony Fauci's just going home to his Maryland house like,
0: how the fuck did I get here? Like, (laughs) I'm just a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, there's nothing spectacular about Anthony Fauci, but there's nothing spectacularly bad about him. Exactly. Like, the fact that that he suddenly became a god of Democrats and the devil of Republicans, like, I just... I feel kind of sorry for him because he's like I I never asked for this bullshit. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and in recent weeks, uh RFK has been, you know, attacked justified, justifiably because he claimed on a podcast that like COVID-19 was genetically engineered to target uh Caucasians and black people um and to avoid Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. So Talking about like like trying to make the case that COVID nineteen was engineered for ethnic cleansing by Jewish people and Chinese people, which is like fucking racist as hell. Yeah. Um, claims that SSRIs, which treat depression, are the cause of mass shootings. That's a big one. That Wi Fi causes cancer and something called leaky brain, which is a technical term. Um, <laughs> that claims that <laughs> there are chemicals in the water that turn kids transgender. Which is uh, a good old Alex Jones one. Turn the frickin' Jesus. frogs gay. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, he's a fucking nutcase. And yeah. I think people like him because he is trying to make this case that, like, he, just like all conspiracy theorists, that, like, everybody's lying to you. The corporations are lying to you. The government's lying to you. The only person who has the answer is him. And he's, you know, older but still like vibrant and strong and capable, and tries to contrast all of that stuff relative to Biden in like his, you know, his his articulateness and physical appearance and going on podcasts yeah. and being all relatable and that kind of stuff. And but ultimately, though, yeah. like his positions are like quite dangerous. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, even the, in their best the issue
0: one. is. The issue is that this conspiracy theory bullshit seeps into his policy. Exactly. Like, let me, let me just, let me just read one part of his website real quick. Um, A Kennedy administration will go beyond making existing modalities available to all to include low cost alternative and holistic therapies that have been marginalized in a pharma dominated system to quote Tim Minchin, alternative medicine has either not been proved to work or been proved not to work. You know what they call medicine that has been proved to work? Medicine.
1: <laughs> that is the best argument against alternative medicine that I have ever <laughs> heard. It's so <laughs> pithy. And it's just a fucking, like, slam dunk, sleeper hole, put them down. It's crazy. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. and and uh, But more importantly, if you are sick... And you use alternative medicine. You are more likely to die than if you use medicine. Or, or yeah. at least more likely to stay sick. You're banking look, on your body doing the work.
0: I understand being critical of big pharma. Sure. I really do. Absolutely. And by the way, I would even point out, if he were saying, you know, everybody mistrusts big pharma, big pharma has too much power and we can't always trust the shit that they put out therefore mm-hmm. we should not nationalize pharmaceuticals i'd be like okay that's that's based that's great mm-hmm. but he doesn't say that he's actually in interviews he's been asked about that and he said well i wouldn't go that far okay well then you're useless like yeah. you're, you on this on this I wouldn't issue, go so far as useless. to
1: make the drugs trustworthy and effective i would just yeah. say that we should use i'm just going to so tiny amounts of drugs in sugar water and uh, <laughs> and uh, eat ginger and drink kombucha. To be fair, I love ginger yeah, I mean, and kombucha, uh, but I'm not going <laughs> to take it instead of medicine. So fuck RFK. Right. Uh, luckily, he's not going to be president. <laughs> yeah,
0: may have gone be president.
1: So as I was going through, I, I researched RFK before I went and researched, you know, any of the Republican side. And as I got to the Republican side, having just been reeling on how crazy RFK was. I was like, oh shit, he's like, he would be like the best candidate on the Republican side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so right now, like, yeah. we've talked about Trump, we've talked about DeSantis. They're definitely leading in the polls. We're not probably not going to touch on them really at all. Everybody else is essentially vying to get on the debate stage. That's going to be their first like yeah. hurdle for them to get attention and potentially momentum. With their campaigns. Um, So for uh, like the Fox uh, debate, uh, the RNC has set qualifications that for that August debate, that they'll need 40,000 donors total, including at least 200 unique donors in each of 20 states. And so basically, like if you go to any of these websites, all of their marketing is focused on getting people to donate even a dollar because the threshold is just getting people to pay attention to your campaign. So that's their main hope.
0: Yeah, so the two main ones we're gonna talk about uh, are Ramaswamy and Tim Scott. And the reason why we're talking about them is because as it stands, Ramaswamy has, uh, he is third place in the national average poll, Um between you know third with uh with Trump and DeSantis being uh being respectively um one and uh, one and two uh he is starting to surge a little bit yeah uh, according to 538 the most recent average has him at 6.8% mm-hmm. which is is decent considering that a week ago i had no idea who the fuck he was
1: yeah totally
0: like i i i must have said his name when we were going over the candidates and I don't even remember saying his name. I don't remember looking at his face. I don't remember anything about this guy. Yeah. But apparently some people are starting to like him. And the reason why we're talking about Tim Scott is because in Iowa, in the most recent poll, uh, he's in third place with 9%, Mm -hmm. which means I would say that based on that, because I think DeSantis is faltering. I think people are realizing who DeSantis is. Yeah. And he's just, so much less appealing, which means that I think second place is up for grabs. And I think that the two people at this point that are most likely to take that second place are either going to be Tim Scott after maybe doing a good job in Iowa mm-hmm. or Ramaswamy, yeah. who is starting to do pretty well nationally.
1: Yeah. Yeah, as I was reading like interviews with Ramaswamy and going to his website, this dude should not be written off, I don't think. Like, yeah. yeah. Like He's really good at articulating common and bad uniting ideas. concerns and then like
0: with bad ideas with ba-
1: yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely the bad ideas but like he his his one two punches this is something that we're we can all agree is a concern and this is yeah. the best most palatable version of my really bad idea which i think sounds good you know and and would be appealing and so like as i yeah. was going through like some of his like policies and also his like rhetoric when he's at his best and there's sometimes when he's not, but when he's at his best, he's like really making his arguments quite effectively. And I think my thought is like that combined with his money is going to be what is able to like keep him in people's uh, on people's radar. Yeah.
0: I will say, uh, he does have a certain charisma to him. I will admit that. Mm -hmm. And there, and I, I did see one, uh, one interview, in which some people brought up a policy that he had that was an, an incredibly fringe policy. So one of the policies that he believes in is uh, he thinks that the voting age should be raised to 25. And before you turn 25, if you want to vote, you either need to basically take this civics test uh, that uh, he said, like the, the citizenship test that, uh, that um, naturalized immigrants would, would have to take um, or you would have to serve in the military. And like, you know, you you hear that and you, you know, you, uh, uh, a lot of people are probably going to think that's, that's horrible. That's a terrible idea. And his response to that, which, which I think this is actually something that Michael and I have talked about on the pod before, where we've said, if you make a bold claim, you have to acknowledge the fact that it's a bold claim and make an argument. Yeah. And he actually did that. He yeah. actually like acknowledges, yeah, that's a bold claim. Yeah. People are probably going to not find that palatable, but here's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm persuading people. I'm I'm going around and I'm going to make the argument and I'm going to make the argument to you. And I was like, I actually I respect that because like Mm -hmm. a lot of politicians, when you challenge them on a terrible fucking policy, they'll either backtrack on it or they'll they'll gaslight you. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to pretend that it's not a bold claim. It is a bold claim. Let me make the argument. And I respect that. I respect the shit out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's Um, fucking wrong. He's wrong. Yeah, but uh, (laughs) yeah. Like, and when you actually look at, look at some of his rhetoric and some of his policies, he's really wrong. Like when you go on his website and you look at his issues page, literally the first thing that comes up, revive American national identity, use military, including drones to secure the Southern border.
1: Yep. Yeah. He is a self-described nationalist whose whole campaign is really focused on creating a united, uh, American identity. That just uh, washes over uh, diversity as a concept. And, you know, (laughs) his right, like the fucking headline on his website is Vivek's 25 policy commitments to take America first further than Trump. So his whole thing is we're going to make America even greater again, essentially. And that's yeah. all focused
0: on. I'm like Trump, super except I'm smarter policies. and crazier.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's really his position.
0: Like in his fucking announcement video, he dismisses climate change activists as cultists. Yep. Like he he says like he 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 dismisses gender affirming care and like you know gender ideology as he calls it as a fucking cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and in his in his policies, you know, in terms of uh. Unleashing American, uh, uh, the American economy. He says, uh, "Drill, frack, and burn coal. Abandon the climate cult and unshackle nuclear energy." Now, I actually yep. agree with him on nuclear energy. Yeah. Um. And Great. actually, and, and actually, I, I there was an interesting conversation that he had in a, um, in an interview where he was, you know, he was challenged on the whole like, "Hey, you're talking about a climate cult," and he's like, "Well, yeah. I never understood why people are against nuclear energy though, if they're climate activists because it's zero emissions." It's like, okay, I actually, you know, that's actually a good yeah. point, but you're that's like, point. but you're also but referring to about. people that are, <laughs> yeah, you're also worried saying that people who are worried about climate change are cultists. Now he says, yes, climate change is, happen- is happening, yes, you know, humans are, humans, it looks like, are causing it, but he said there was no evidence that it was actually that it was a disaster that it was going to lead to disaster oh my god bitch it's there's already it's already leading to disaster this
1: month has, is they're, the hottest month in the last 120,000 years on earth i
0: had to regularly check the air quality index yeah be, to go outside because there's a wildfire in canada which mm-hmm. scientists warned us would become more and more common as climate change intensifies and you're saying that it's not like that it's not going to be a disaster it's already a disaster yeah. this dude like his rhetoric
1: is very polished we cannot miss the fact that he first of all he's young he's thirty seven he's gonna be around for a while yeah. he's young and he's rich and he may be getting people's attention he is an extremist for sure like yeah you know like Nathan mentioned a couple policies but like a couple others like even like the not only is his rhetoric on his website very kind of like, kind of like combative and dismissive and disrespectful, but things like shut down toxic government agencies department of education fbi i r s and more what what the fuck <laughs> that's crazy you want to shut down the yeah. department of education
0: like because because he wants people to be stupid, so they'll keep voting for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but like, the, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing about, about him. Like I've, I've often said that DeSantis was worse than Trump because DeSantis was smart. Like he was smart enough to actually make, to, to, to actually potentially implement policies. But I've also acknowledged the fact that he has, his charisma is just terrible. Like he comes across as a complete and total asshole. Mm -hmm. Like to, to anybody Ramaswamy does not come across as an asshole. Like when he's actually talking to people, he, he comes across as a, I have policy ideas and I'm going to convince you. And I understand that you might disagree with me, but I'm going to convince you. Now, some of his ads are like, really douchey and yeah. combative and a lot of but the like shit when on he's actually talking to really people douchey. a lot of the shit on his website makes him sound a lot like makes him sound really yeah. terrible when he's actually <clears throat> talking he sounds great. Yeah. Exactly. I found
1: that to be such a contrast. Like is this is a bullet yeah. on his website. Incentivized trade schools which is good. And then over hollow college degrees. Sorry gender studies majors. Like, fuck what? you, dude why? <laughs> he's just being an asshole like fuck you dude. That's fucking yeah. awful. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. So, to your point like he doesn't come across that like like who's going to his website? Who's reading his policy pages? Like people that are into like yeah, understanding what he, what he's about. <clears throat> Otherwise, people are listening to him and he, and when they when you listen to him, it, he really comes across well.
0: Yeah. So, the big reason why I want to talk about him is because I, you know, I know I dismissed him when I first when I first learned about him, I dismissed him. And he's still not going to get the nomination. He's not. Yeah. But He's young. He has a future and he is, he does have talent. He's never held a political office and somehow he's he's a natural at this shit. Like yeah. he's actually the type he's he's using a using a lot of the strategies that I've been telling Democrats to be used mm-hmm. to start using. Yeah. Like to to actually you know to actually try to like fact check and to try to discuss and to try to be in depth in policies. And that's the, that's the thing. Like he, everything that he says on his website is terrible, but it's substantive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's what I think makes him so dangerous. Because I think he is he has good political instincts. Mm-hmm. He has charisma and harsh, he is very intelligent. Ideals. Yeah, and horrible political ideals.
1: Yeah, that's true. All right, let's talk about Tim Scott. What a weenie! I find this guy <laughs> to be so boring. Like, holy yeah. shit. I watched his like announcement video or like the video, like first thing that comes up on his website, and it was like, Focus on China, focus on military. Biden is weak. And he ends it with, We need a commander in chief with a backbone. Bleh, boring. That's nothing. Like yeah. honestly. And his website is like devoid of really any information. He's got he to me, I mean, I don't know. You said he's he's you know, you pointed out Correctly that, you know, he seems to be doing well in Iowa potentially, but he really doesn't seem like he has anything to offer, even in contrast to Biden, much less in contrast to Trump, who he's not going after. He's not really even talking about. So, like, if you're outside of South Carolina, I don't really know who even knows about this guy. Like, who cares about Tim Scott?
0: Yeah. Like I said, the only reason why we're talking about him is because he's doing semi well in in Iowa. Yeah, and the thing is, um, you can do like a good performance in Iowa can sometimes like do a lot to propel you to the nomination. I yeah. mean, nobody took Barack Obama seriously mm-hmm. until he won the Iowa caucus. Yeah, a- and if you know, there, I mean, I guess there's there's really two ways that you can strategize when you're. When you're running in a primary in a presidential primary the first way is to focus on the early states to try to do as well as possible in the early states and to try to use the momentum from those early states to propel you for the 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 rest of the um the rest of the campaign Mm -hmm. or try to do a national like a a national strategy
1: Mm -hmm.
0: trump is clearly doing a national strategy Mm -hmm. Tim Scott is clearly doing an early state strategy. Now, yeah. that, di- that isn't to say that you're not going to focus more on those early states, even if you are running a national strategy, but clearly his focus is going to be on those early states, and that is why he might actually get some traction. Mm-hmm. But to Michael's point, when you actually look at the shit that he says, it is generic Republican talking points. Yeah. Just all the way through. Yeah. He doesn't um, even have like an issue page. It's just the same He just bullshit. has a page about yeah biden tim's record yeah or page. tim's record yeah yeah he, he has, so he has a, he has a tim's records page which is kind of his issues page mm-hmm. Yeah, like he basically has a in, in his in his tim's records page he, he goes through policies that he believes and then he talks about his proven record of uh voting against or for specific policies so it's kind of the mm-hmm. issues page mm-hmm. but i it doesn't really talk like it's all about legislation and legislation yeah. is important. Yeah. But you are going to be the chief executive, which yeah. means you need to also be talking about what are some executive orders you're going to be doing? Mm-hmm. How are you going to reorganize agencies? How are you yeah. going to be, you know, what's your what's your foreign policy going to be? He really doesn't talk that much about foreign policy, which mm-hmm. is one of the most important things about being president. Like mm-hmm. that's one of the things that you're most powerful about. Totally. When you're when you're president. You know, he he yeah. talks about like it's just generic shit, you yeah. know. Secure and if the his... border.
1: If his strategy is, I am you know, familiar, I am known, I am consistent, I've been delivering on this legislation, that's one thing. But I think to your point, not even having a vision, only having a record, is taking that way too far. You're like, all you're talking about is what you have done and not what you envision for the country, not where you want to take things. Like, that's not inspiring.
0: I think he's, what he's running as, is he's running as generic Republican.
1: Yeah, I think so. And
0: what's interesting about that is generic Republican can beat Biden. Generic Republican is not going to win the primary, but it can beat Biden. Yeah. So if I were him, you know, I could, because the thing is, when you look at, like, a lot of polling data does show that when you just put generic Republican in a head-to-head matchup against Joe Biden, generic Republican actually does pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm. When you put Trump against Biden or Desantis against Biden, Biden wins. Mm -hmm. So, so if I were if I were uh, Tim Scott, I would be like my entire campaign would be focused on electability. Like Mm -hmm. at this point, if if this is where you're starting out, if you're starting out as I am as generic as generic Republicans can get, yeah, I would focus on electability. Yeah, to some extent, I think he is doing that because he focuses a lot more on criticizing Mm -hmm. Biden, but you're not really making an argument. You're just criticizing Biden. Yeah. That's the only way he could potentially win. Hmm. Now, again, that's working with the limited amount of chance that he already has. Yeah. But that's that's the only path that I could potentially see him actually having a shot.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. I do want to take 30 seconds to talk about Chris Christie. Because that dude... Yeah, go is, for it. ...is like... He's like a Tasmanian devil. He's like coming back to his roots of just being this <laughs> aggressive, like fast talking like he's he's making good points about trump and that is what he's that's the only thing he's doing he's just going after trump in like every opportunity he can and after the people that the other candidates who aren't criticizing trump but he's raised like no money he's got like a million bucks he's raised he's like polling terribly he doesn't if you go to his website which he does have one uh it is it is so sad it is hilariously sad so all it is is a donation page with a picture of chris christie and a place where you can sign up for like his mailing list or whatever and a fucking embedded shitty youtube video from like a town hall campaign announcement literally looks like it was shot on someone's phone is terrible lighting terrible sound you can't see anything it is like it looks like a page that i made when i was like 12 in my like web page design class (laughs) It is hilarious. <laughs> he is all he is in this fight as a kamikaze candidate. All he wants to do yeah. is fucking get Absolutely. in there and do as Absolutely. much damage as fucking possible, which I really respect. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Look, I I despise Chris Christie in so many uh-huh. ways, but I love what he's yeah, doing. I do. I, I love what you've done with the post, question. <laughs> yeah. You've taken <laughs> your, you're going to, you know, your second
1: presidential run, and then who knows what happens after that, but probably nothing. Yeah. We'll probably never hear from you again, but I'm glad you're going down.
0: Honestly, honestly, he's probably, like, this is probably a personal mission for him. Yeah. Because, so, for for those of you that don't know about the context of this, so he, first off, he was the, f- one of the first, actually, I think the first Republican to drop out and endorse Trump. Mm-hmm. And it was clearly because he wanted to have a position in the Trump administration. Yeah. He didn't get that position in the Trump administration. Why? Because he, uh, the the father of Jared Kushner, which Jared Kushner, remember, that's uh, Trump's son-in-law. He put Jared Kushner's father in jail on corruption charges. He prosecuted him early in his political career. And so Jared Kushner was basically like, fuck this guy. Don't put him in the administration. Mm -hmm. And Trump didn't put him in the administration. Yeah. So... He sold all of his dignity, and he didn't even get a cabinet position. Yep. So he is pissed. at you. Yeah, exactly. So this is just a personal mission of, oh, is the oh? So that's how it is. Okay.
1: I know. Like I that's that's the love it. He's the so John Wick of presidential candidate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. So I'm I'm excited. I'm here for it. I'm excited to see what happens with Chris Christie's campaign. So now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, A Miscellaneous What the Fuck. So Nathan, what's a miscellaneous what the fuck?
0: Well, Michael, a miscellaneous what the fuck happens when we have a story that doesn't quite fit the mold of an ass hat, and doesn't mm. quite fit the mold of a Dershowitz bag, but is really silly and funny. And we just need to talk about it just so we can laugh at mm. it. So who could possibly... Uh,
1: live up to that incredibly niche and, and really hilarious setup.
0: Well, in this case today, we're going to be talking about uh, Jason Aldean. Hmm. Which uh, you know, wait, a country singer. He doesn't a country singer. Apparently, huh, like weird. I I don't really I don't really follow country songs that much. Hmm. Like I've never been a, a country or at least a modern day country music person. I love John Denver. Hmm. Like to me, that's you know that's back when country music was actually good. Um. But like, yeah, apparently he's this country singer Hmm. and uh, he stirred up some controversy by releasing a song called Try That in a Small Town. And I just want to I just want to read some lyrics really quickly. Quote, "Uh, sucker punch someone on a sidewalk, carjack an old lady at a red light, pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think that's cool? Well, act like a fool if you think or if you like Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag, light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough? Well, try that in a small town. And that's kind of like what it is. He goes through basically shit that he thinks happens in big cities, which, you Mm. know, we often associate with big cities, and says, try that in a small town. At one point, he says, got a gun that my granddad gave me. They say one day they're going to round up. Well, that shit might fly in a city. Good luck. Try that in a small town. Mm. So... The reason we're talking about this is like, you know, there's already been a lot of commentary about how there might be some racial undertones in this, Mm -hmm. which, you know, lots of people talked about that. I don't think we need to get into that. And then there's been a lot of right wingers who are defending it like, yeah, you know, he's just calling it like it is. And y'all are just a bunch of snowflakes, you know, try all this violence and shit in a small town and and you're going to get shot. (laughs) It's like, okay, but. I think that there are some that there's a lot of people that are missing the point and not realizing what this guy is actually saying. Let me read something again. Let me read this again. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag, light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough? We'll try that in a small town. Got a gun that my granddad gave me. He's advocating for using violence, for shooting people, for lighting up the flag. Mm -hmm. He thinks that you should get the death penalty. For lighting up a flag, which is protected free speech should come by the Supreme you. Court. Yeah. yeah, Or, like, cuss out a cop, spit on his face. Okay. Don't spit on a cop's face.
1: Sure. You're allowed to cuss out a cop.
0: But if you do, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're allowed to cuss out a cop. That's free speech. Don't spit on his face. But even if you do spit on his face, like, that does not warrant the death penalty. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't do that. But that mm-hmm. should not warrant the death penalty. And, and also... When you look at kind of the implication, he's saying, well, try that in a small town. Basically, he's saying people in a small town are so fucking nuts and trigger happy that they will shoot you for protected free speech. <laughs> like, I know that some of the stuff he's talking about, like sucker punch someone on a sidewalk, yeah, you have a right to defend yeah. yourself. Maybe not with a gun, but you know, you have a right to defend yourself. Yeah. Pull a gun on an owner of a liquor store, yeah, you absolutely have the right to defend yourself. Sure. And in that case, with a gun, you know, yeah. fine, fine, that's cool. But stop on the flag and light it up? Yeah. You're making a pro-gun control argument, dude. Yeah, uh, And also, like,
1: um, the thing that's different about a small town is the community, right? So, you know, you can defend yourself if you're a city liquor store owner or if someone punches you in the street in the city, but no one else is going to help you. What he's saying is, a violent mob will come and attack you (laughs) with their guns. Like, yeah, he's literally, like, saying, like, yeah, we shouldn't have guns because we're going to use them for violence against protected free speech. And yeah, Yeah.
0: Like, I don't understand how people that are trying to, that are trying to spread the narrative of responsible gun ownership and how mm-hmm. most people that own guns are responsible gun owners and you don't have to worry about them. And in fact, you should feel safer when you see someone with a gun because they will protect you from a bad guy. Sure. And yet you're saying they're so trigger happy. They will shoot you for exercising freedom of speech.
1: Well, in this case, the bad guy is someone that doesn't salute the flag. <laughs>
0: yeah like this is not your guy like yeah. this is not your guy and he's definitely not your guy dude grow up in macon georgia where the population is 150,000. hey michael what was the population of the town that you grew up in
1: well it was a small town it was uh about 1300 or so about a thousand people yeah yeah what about you nathan i didn't grow up in a town I grew up on a country road. He, he grew up a, a road Outside was as much civilization as you were exposed.
0: <laughs> yeah. I grew up, I grew up in the country where we could set up a shooting range in our backyard. And I grew up using a BB gun to shoot beer cans off a tree stump. And mm-hmm. then when I got older using, you know, gun guns to, you know, using, using like a 22 or a four ten mm-hmm. or, yeah. uh, you know, my, uh, my eight millimeter, yeah. Um, because I, because I have a, I, I got a Mauser, uh, using that to shoot beer canes off a tree stump. Mm-hmm. Like, I grew up, yeah, in b- beyond a small town. Like to me, your town is a city. <laughs> <laughs> and to now, my, and to I, this
1: guy, my my uh my town is is nothing—a postage stamp. Apparently, one hundred fifty thousand people is a small town.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, dude, you don't know what's a fucking small town life is this people people from a small town this is not one of your guys this Mm -mm. is not one of you Mm -mm. he's not one of you and he is insulting the living fuck out of you
1: yeah seriously and please don't take legal advice from jason aldean
0: (laughs) (laughs) do not take legal.
1: (laughs) so congratulations for to jason aldean for being a miscellaneous what the fuck And now we'll end our show as we usually do with our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight tonight?
0: My highlight this week is definitely the fact that I just got back from a beach vacation with my brother Mm. and it was awesome. I uh, got clobbered by waves. Always like doing that. I'm one of the types of people that really likes to just like, you know, to, to body surf, Mm -hmm. uh, no boogie board, no surfboard, just, you know, just time it right and just throw yourself into a wave and let it fling you to the shore. Um, you you know, careful to blow out because you get a, wa- a lot of water in your nose. Or just you know, just for fun. Um, if you see a wave coming at you, just sit down, sit down on the floor, and just let it hit you in the face and clobber you. Yeah, I just, just like bash doing through that. it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And my and my brother <laughs> and I had a lot of fun. It was and it was a great vacation. That's I'm awesome. sunburnt.
1: Well, that's not so awesome, but at least you had a good time.
0: What about you, Mike?s What's what's your highlight?
1: Oh, so many good stuff has happened since uh, our last show together. But I think the most recent thing is that Brie and I finally bought a second car for us while we're here. We've been operating with one car, which has been somewhat okay so far, but has been limiting. And as Brie becomes more busy with her business in Seattle, it's going to be untenable. And we've been looking for a car for weeks, but literally like every time be like go to see one it's purchased before we get to see it which has just been a real pain so to finally have that chore done is feels really good we're happy to have that out of the way and now we will thank the amazing people that make this show possible so thank you to our patrons Kyle Chaska Taylor Bloom Fadeout Scoop Tobias Janssen and Derry DeViller Uh, and if you would like to contribute to the show and make it, uh, make it go, you can go to patreon.com slash the Perspectrum. And if you want to see us, uh, in person uh, via videos, you can find us on YouTube. And thank you of course, for our amazing editor Kayla, for all they do to make this show possible. And thank you dear listener for listening to the Perspectrum and you'll hear from us again.